Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. Quick disclaimer, because you know that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy, and this is not clinical supervision. There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. Okay, here we go. All right. Okay, welcome everybody to Mental Status. My name is Meg, I'm your host. Uh, This is a podcast about burnout for mental health professionals, and I'm super into it. I love the conversations I have here, and I am really excited about the conversation I get to have today with my very special guest, Um, and I'd like to let them introduce themselves. So special guest, who are you, where are you, and how are you doing today? Yeah. Hi, Meg. Thanks for having me. I am Dr. Desiree Howell, pronouns she and her. I am in Southern coastal Georgia, and I am doing really well. I am hyped up on caffeine. (laughs) Lots of energy this morning. Yes, yes. For the listeners, um, we both, yeah, I I shared an image of my, um, don't judge me, my monster energy drink uh, (laughs) prior to this recording. So we're both very caffeinated. Okay, so welcome to the show. Super excited to have you, Desiree. So yeah, I guess we'll just jump right into it. Um, Maybe you can get us started talking about your burnout journey. So where have you been? Yeah, okay. So I can give the quick version and then we can dive into more details. So I guess the quick version is I grew up in the Midwest. in a low SES family. So there was a lot of financial struggles um, and other struggles to overcome uh, health-wise. But basically what I learned was, you know, sort of being the good girl, being, you know, the teacher's pet, you know, doing everything right was the best way to cope. And my parents really taught me that if I wanna grow up and not have to worry about struggling to pay the bills, that the best thing I could do is get great grades in school, go to college, find a job I love that pays well. Um, And then I also wouldn't be dependent on anyone else who may be abusive as a side tangent, right? So to be healthy and happy and independent and not struggling, the best bet was college and a career. And so that was one of the main values that my parents passed on to me because we did struggle financially. So, all right, I ingrained that, I internalized that (laughs) and got straight A's and was that kind of student. Um, Realized as a teenager, I wanted to be a therapist. Um, Mostly because I thought, wow, if I could like talk to people and be kind to people, again, this is my teenage (laughs) mentality, but wow, if I could like be kind and a good listener and like problem solve, and talk to people and make their lives better. Like, heck yeah, that seems like a good job. Let's do this. (laughs) I wasn't, I'm not very like athletic or physical. So I do a a physical job probably wasn't gonna be a good idea for me. So 
yeah, so as a teenager, I knew what I wanted to do. I, so I went to college um, and basically just went straight through, got my bachelor's, master's and PhD, like 10 years in a row. <laughs> um, had a baby during that time, got married during that time. Uh, so I was a college student mom. And yeah, so then I graduated with my PhD when I was 28. And I was like, all right, I'm doing it, right? Straight A's, got my fancy degrees, my uh, lots of student loan debt. <laughs> I was like, I'm doing it, right? I'm, I'm following the American dream or, you know, I'm, I'm going by the status quo. I'm doing things right. And so I got my dream job at a university counseling center. That's where I, I wanted to work. Like, again, I had starry eyes about college, you know, like, ooh, you know, college is transformational. That's where you know, dreams come true. I love learning. Um, and so I was like, oh yeah, working at colleges forever. That sounds great. I love college. And so I really did love my time at the University Counseling Center. I worked there for six years. Um, I had some leadership positions, which I really loved. And, you know, running group, just doing great stuff. Like I really did love it. The part, <laughs> there's a but, right? I loved it, but mm -hmm. um, financially it was challenging. Uh, the town was, uh, quite expensive to live in. Mm -hmm. And by that time we had had a second child and he was diagnosed with autism. So my husband stayed at home to take care of our son and the house. So I was the sole breadwinner. And so, but he, you know, I didn't have to clean or cook or do laundry or anything. Like nice. he did that. <laughs> right. so that was lovely. So he, he did all that and I supported us. And even though the university counseling center job, I think did pay well uh, for one person, it wasn't really enough to support a whole family. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, I love working. I love being a psychologist. Uh, we need the money. So I opened a mini private practice in the town and saw like five clients just in a row one day after leaving the counseling center, I, you know, rented a, an office from a colleague. And so I had one really like 14 hour day, you know, like get oh up goodness, to the counseling yeah. center, leave the counseling center a little early. I flexed lunches, saw those clients right in a row. And that was a really cool way to dip my toe into entrepreneurship and, and private practice. Mm -hmm. So I was really thankful for that support to make that happen. And then I thought, okay, you know, I don't know if it was lifestyle creep or what, but I was like, ooh, we're getting tight again on money on finances. And we had a lot of debt to pay off. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I love teaching. Maybe I could teach adjunct a few classes at the university. I really do love teaching. And so I was able to make that opportunity happen. And I taught two grad classes. Um, and again, I super loved that, but that was a different night and also made another 14 hour day. Yeah. <laughs> So as much as I loved all these opportunities, like truly when I was doing them all individually, I felt really fulfilled and worthwhile and uh, like I was living my purpose. When you add it all up, <laughs> three jobs, a husband, two kids, mm -hmm. one with special needs, um, and I'm a highly sensitive introvert. So I need me some downtime. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I get overwhelmed, I get um, overstimulated. So it just, you know, as we can see how that might, you know, add up to burnout. Mm -hmm. That was like two 14 hour days in a row. Tuesdays was when I taught, uh, Wednesdays was private practice. 
And again, it was still like 45 hours a week at the counseling center. Like I didn't reduce my hours at the counseling centers because, you know, that was, you know, my full time, my benefits, right? My health insurance for my family, 401k, hopefully student loan forgiveness. I was banking on the, the you know, mm-hmm. 10 years because I have six figure student loan debt um, for all those degrees. Again, came from a poor family. They didn't have any money for, for school. So I was like, so anyway, there were like some wake up calls, uh, like a couple of years into that plan of having three jobs that involved health and relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it kind of just added up in a way, right? That I was like, okay, the first one was my physical health and then it was my relationship and then it was another health crisis. And I was like, this is it. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> there has yeah. to be a better way. There has to be a better way. And so I started looking up like other ways to make money or make money online. Cause I was like, there's maybe less draining. So I don't have to be out of the house 14 hours. Cause I was missing my kids bedtime. Like I didn't even see them. You know, I got up and went to work before they got up and went to school. And then by the time I got home, they were in bed. So there was like two days a week. I just did not even see my children, which seemed insane. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they were little. And so I, yeah, started looking up what's other ways to do this. Um, and so that was still like the, I was still in the work more or work differently category. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so I was trying to figure out entrepreneurship, online entrepreneurship, coaching, blogging, you know, trying to figure out what else could I do to support my family without burning myself out. And at some point in this journey, I went ahead and said I wasn't going to teach anymore. And so I stopped teaching. I said I closed my private practice. Um, And so that drastically reduced our income, um, which was very scary and risky because we don't have safety nets like none of our family, you know, have money. And so I was like, but it's worth it. You know, my mental health, my physical health, my relationships are suffering. I can't deny it anymore. Um, and so, yeah, I took a hard look at, you know, are my values aligned with how I'm actually living my life? Mm-hmm. What, what I say is important to me is not, you know, it's not matching up. I'm not doing what I say matters. You know, I say my family matters and my health matters and travel and time in nature. And so, yeah, quitting those side jobs was very scary. Mm -hmm. trying to adjust the budget to be okay without those side jobs. Um, And then I kind of started working for an online business coach while I was still full-time at the counseling center. Um, And that was in 20, early 2020. Uh, So, and then the pandemic happened. And so I was working from home for the counseling center, you know, so we left our physical office on campus. Um, And again, just working a ton, figuring Mm -hmm. out online coaching, um, and sales and marketing, things that I had no training in at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, is this my ticket? Like if I learn coaching sales and marketing, is this my ticket out of burnout? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went along that journey and there were a lot of small changes with mindset and then a lot of big changes that started happening um, that involved leaving the counseling center, selling our house, moving to a different state, buying a new house, So taking a lot of financial risks, uh, leaving, you know, a community where we had friends and our kids, you know, had a good school system. And so now we're kind of fresh starting and we've been down here in uh, 
Georgia for a year now. Okay. And the opportunity with the business coach ended in the spring. And so I thought, okay, I finally feel ready to be my own boss, to truly be an entrepreneur. Cause I was really scared of that last year. I thought I'll work for a business coach, right? I'll learn coaching um, and online entrepreneurship, but I still want to work for somebody else. I wasn't mm-hmm. quite ready to, to be in charge, but now by this year, I was like, I can do this. I feel mm-hmm. confident enough. <laughs> I really want to be in charge of my own time, energy, and money and not have to ask someone else, you know, for a vacation time. Um, I want to be able to listen to my body and honor my needs. Yeah. Uh, that's something I had not been doing basically my whole life. <laughs> and so, yep. so I was like, it's time, it's time. And so, <laughs> and so here we are. The end of the kind of end of the story, at least to the present time, is now I have an online private practice. Yeah. Uh, so I can see the folks and help the folks that I know I can help. That's a good fit. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, choose my work hours that, that works around my health and my family. And so, yeah, so this is where we're at much more aligned now. Good, good. And I feel like, um, it's important for people to hear that that's possible because I've talked with a lot of folks where either they're still kind of in the thick of it or they're just getting into burnout and it can feel very um, overwhelming and hopeless and be like, this, this is unmanageable. I don't know what I'm going to do. Is this career for me? And like, I'm fully in support of like, if people really feel like they need to leave leaving, but I feel like that's a common thing that happens for most helping professionals is this like this arc of it's great. It's great. It's great. Oh my gosh. This is totally overwhelming. What the fuck am I doing? I think it's really important for people to hear that, you know, there is a way to create, um, a work life that is more in line with the values that you have for yourself, being in nature, being with your family, having a schedule that's not going to have you working 14 hours a day, two days a week. Um, and I think it's important for people to hear that because when you're in the thick of it, that can feel impossible. Um, yeah. 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 I totally thought that I had to give up being a therapist. It was definitely sort of a career identity crisis um, last year where mm-hmm. I thought, well, I guess I have to be a coach and I have to be, you know, a, a salesperson. I have to give up therapy, the identity of therapist. And I really loved the identity of psychologist. I worked damn hard for that. Yes. You know, yeah. again, blue collar family. So the fact that I get to be called doctor is a huge deal. Um, you know, dissertation. And so there was definitely part of me that was sad. It was like lost a little bit. I was like, Oh, well, I guess I can't, you know, make good money. You know, as a psychologist, I guess I need to be a coach. And that just, yeah, now it feels short-sighted that that wasn't the case, that there are multiple paths to success and happiness, but I very much got narrowed in of like, what's my ticket out of here? How do I get out of burnout? What do I have to do to stop feeling overwhelmed and broke? Like I need money and time and energy. How do I do this? And it just felt like giving up the therapist role was my only choice. Mm -hmm. And I know we got to be careful when anything feels like it's our only choice that's, you know, in desperate mode or in scarcity mode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a hard and scary place to be. Um, to feel that desperation. Um, and you mentioned <clears throat> that you had, you had some small mindset shifts, but also some larger shifts in, in the way that you were thinking. So I was wondering if you 
if you could talk a little bit about what were those shifts that you made when you were burnt out, especially because like shifting when you're burnt out, that's hard. So what was that for you? Yes. So for sure, those health and relationship issues were the wake up calls that Mm -hmm. like, oh, hey, wait a minute, Desiree, life's not just like scooting along all nice and yay like you thought right because I was like well you know I'm doing fun things with the family you know we're traveling a little bit there's stuff to scrapbook (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. my I was like look we're going to festivals there's we're having a good life but so those wake-up calls were like whoa you need to rethink a thing or two like maybe things aren't rolling along Mm -hmm. as smoothly as you thought so that's what caused me that like got my attention to pause and go maybe I need to look at this again Mm -hmm. my choices my lifestyle and So then the small mindset things, I guess when I was like, okay, how do I change? I feel really stuck. I feel exhausted. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like we're always struggling for money. Um, I'm not resting enough. I'm not eating well. How can I change anything? Um, So then I, and I love to read. So I was like, well, I, I took the bus. We just shared the one vehicle. And so I wanted my, you know, husband to have the car with the kids during the day. So I took the bus to work. And I was like, well, how about when I'm on the bus, I'll like, you know, read some eBooks on my phone. Right. You know? And so I read two books, um, do less by Kate Northrup Mm -hmm. and super attractor by Gabrielle Bernstein. Mm -hmm. Um, a friend recommended those. And so I really appreciated that because I read both of those books and they, really gave me hope that there was another way to live your life that it does not have to be this way so it felt like it shook things up in terms of the status quo Mm -hmm. um and just knowing that you know the 40-hour work week is you know kind of a made-up thing and just you know why should we blame ourselves because it doesn't work for us Mm -hmm. and um we can deserve abundance and peace and design our life the way we want to. So it was inspiring in that, you know, it was two female authors saying life doesn't have to be this way. Right. Like fight the status quo that says it has to be this way. Mm -hmm. And so when I read those, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, why not me? Like, why don't I deserve like peace and, and, you know, healthy relationships and health with my body. Like that's not crazy stuff to ask for. (laughs) All the things that we ask for and promote and try to encourage and foster in the people that we're working with. And we're like, oh, but for me, no. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Telling everybody else, you know, they deserve better, you know? Yeah, Um, exactly. And so I was like, yeah, and I'm working to be like a generational cycle breaker. Like I'm really trying to make sure that my children don't have to deal with the things I did financially, emotionally. I was like, I'm working damn hard to try to make the world better. <laughs> like mm-hmm. my own little world and, you know, the bigger world. So I'm like, yeah, I, I really am trying to do good in the world. I'm not trying to destroy people. Why can't I have like rest and enough money? Like I'm mm-hmm. not... I'm not asking for unreasonable things. So reading those books helped me see that it's possible and kind of flipped a switch of like, yeah, why not me? Mm-hmm. Why, why, why can't I, if I'm willing to either work hard, whatever that means, or take risks or really the scariest thing was pushing back on the status quo and taking right. financial risks to say, no, actually my relationships and my health are more important 
Um, even if that means we got to cash out the 401k or something, you know, drastic, um, I'm not going to just like pay bills and die. And I don't want my legacy to be that my children just remember me as working all the time and not having time or energy for them. It was more important to me that when I thought about the long game of like, when I'm gone, how will my children remember me? Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so those were, I think, the mindset things of maybe I can start making different decisions. Maybe there are different ways to do this. Maybe there's um, other careers or other places to live, right? Like maybe there are changes, big and small, that can be made to actually make life work. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and and talking about the status quo for, especially for mental health care professionals, but I think, you know, in general folks who are in, in service type positions. So this could apply to teachers, to nurses, to therapists. Um, the status quo has for a very long time been, you know, you are here to, to serve and help. And that is the, that is the largest fulfillment that you get is being of service to others and helping. And like, I mean, obviously most of us, if not all of us got into the career, because that is what we wanted to do with our work life, with our professional selves, but the the status quo has also sort of resulted in this, like, and you shouldn't expect to be paid very much, but that's okay because you're helping people. It's like, well, you know, (laughs) and so like, I hear from a lot of people still this extreme discomfort. And it still happens for me sometimes when I think about like in the future, when I want to have my own private practice, an extreme discomfort around the idea of charging a fee that is able to provide us, the providers with not even a lavish lifestyle, but just comfortable, right? Like where we can be comfortable and have that safety net and do what we need to do for ourselves. Like even talking about fees in that way, like people still seem to feel very uncomfortable with that idea. Yes. And I won't say I'm totally beyond that. (laughs) Um, I don't know if it's even possible to be totally, but I'll say what really helped that mind shift change, how that helped unlock things for me is my social justice related values Mm -hmm. in terms of really thinking about the big picture, you know, systemic. And thankfully my programs where I got my degrees were very social justice focused. So I appreciated that. So I'd had years of really thinking about, you know, my identity, you know, oppression, um, privilege, uh, historically, you know, how systems were set up to serve and who they, you know, were designed to serve Mm -hmm. and, but then I started diving in more and following, uh, you know, more, you know, radical, if that's a, you know, word to think about, but other folks on social media that were really talking more about patriarchy and white supremacy and capitalism mm-hmm. and just other systems that reward folks in a way, exploit folks in a way, you know, mm-hmm. and so then I started thinking, wow, this feels like it's set up to be exploited to, you know, exploitative, yeah. if that's the word, mm-hmm. to, to take advantage of 
you know, women healthcare providers. So I just saw it as a bigger picture that this isn't really about me. This is about, you know, um, this is about the whole system not yeah. being fair. And so why should I suffer just because someone set up a system to work for others? Yeah. And so that just felt like real bullshit to me. <laughs> it is bullshit. <laughs> and I thought I'm not suffering. I don't think I should suffer. I don't think my kids should suffer just because I'm not, you know, a rich white male. Yeah. Uh, I am a white female, but I was like, no, this isn't fair, you know, and, and that idea of who who should be able to be compensated well and who shouldn't, you know, teaching is a primarily feminine or female, you know, profession, so is mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, well, you know, physicians and lawyers who still have more and engineers, you know, those professions that have more males, men, they're not taught to be shamed about making any money, but then like teachers, mental health professionals, you know, others that are maybe more female, we somehow are supposed to be okay with being paid little. And yeah, I'm just like, I don't, as much as it feels uncomfortable to, you know, charge uh, fees that are enough for us to survive and thrive, uh, I don't think that I deserve happiness less than, you know, a rich male. And so nope. I'm like, nope, <laughs> the system's rigged, so I'm not going to play it. If, if I fall into those traps, then I am supporting patriarchy, white supremacy, toxic capitalism, and I don't want to be a part of perpetuating those systems. Right, right. <clears throat> and I think part of what I've sort of recognized in that too, a, a few things. So you mentioned being exploited and I, I saw this on social media somewhere and I wish I had saved it. Um, somebody had mentioned like, I'm no longer calling it burnout. I'm calling it being exploited because in general, that tends to be a major aspect of somebody burning out is the system around them that has certain demands that takes advantage of or exploits um, the goodness in their heart to help other people or their tendency to kind of go above and beyond, which is, I mean, I love therapists. I think we are awesome people. And I also know that we, generally speaking, we like to go above and beyond and stretch ourselves very thin from our, our good nature. Right. And that is something that, um, systems, if we talk about them as these like giant things that are sort of above us, the system itself loves that and and it's, it's very useful to them. Um, so I like this idea that, you know, we don't want to play into that system and the fewer of us who can play into that system and buy into a system where we are undervalued and, you know, either emotionally suffering or being exploited or being financially exploited, financially suffering, like the fewer of us who agree to do that in the long run, you know, like keeping that long-term view in mind, the more we can kind of lift everything up from the bottom, right? So even, even pre-licensed folks aren't like, maybe they won't feel like they have to work for 15 fucking dollars an hour after getting their master's degree. Like, this is obviously very personal for me. (laughs) Um, Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. So like, if we, if the folks who have some of that privilege to be able to step out of that system and say, like, I am taking these risks, if we have the people who can do that, actually do that, like we can create this whole, like, this whole thing that will bring up the entire, the entire system from the bottom to the top of like, we're not doing this anymore. 
fuck it. <laughs> like, yeah. It makes me think of two things. One, the book, We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I read that this year and it's absolutely about this and how, you know, research shows that women and traditionally exploited groups uh, really make the world a better place when they have money. And so, you know, more, you know, good people with money, if that's a way to look at it, it's Mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. But also it makes me think of two, Uh, again, just some of the things I follow and talking about, you know, CEO pay and, you know, uh, wealth inequality and things like that. Um, I'm just like, "Mm, nope, nope. uh, Not okay with me. You know, if one person's making, you know, millions or billions, and then, you know, they're only making that or a big reason why they're, they're making that is because folks are really struggling. Like, that's just Mm -hmm. not okay with me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I love what you're saying. The folks, you know, and again, having a little bit of enough privilege to say, I'm not doing this, like, I'm not participating in this, we we demand better. And it does feel like there's strength, strength in numbers, mm-hmm. as scary as it is. Um, but yeah, I don't want to accept mistreatment interpersonally from people, right? I built yay boundaries, you're not going to mistreat me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also feels a way like that financially. Absolutely. Like, no, I'm not going to get exploited and mistreated and be paid so little that then, you know, I have to work 60 hours a week and, you know, light myself on, you know, on fire to keep others warm. Mm-hmm. If other people are allowed to make good money and have a beautiful life, then all right, so can I. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, really, like, I want that for all therapists. <laughs> like, quite honestly, I think that, um, you know, there, there's kind of historically, there's been this sort of, it's me or you zero sum game kind of mentality around this stuff, which is like, uh-uh, no, like I can make a living that is comfortable for me and my family based on our needs. And I want that for you too. Like, I want you to be able to comfortably pay student loans and buy food for yourself and take a couple of vacations to reset and also have downtime where you're not like mentally or physically doing everything you possibly can to stay afloat. Cause it, it all like when somebody's in that space, especially financially, financially, but just in general, that trickles down to the people that we're working with. Like they're not, they're not getting the kind of quality care that we can all provide if we are stressed the fuck out. <laughs> That's so true. That is so true. Um, yeah. I remember thinking when I was, you know, working all three jobs, really struggling to, you know, read articles and stay updated with the latest research. Um, You know, I mean, I did what I had to do for CEs, of course. So there was still some learning and growing, but not to the degree that I would have liked. And even, yeah, just we need to be rested and fed and not just fighting with our partner, probably to come in with the best, you know, emotional container, you know, to hold (laughs) Space, to be patient, to creatively think, right? Yeah. There's so much yeah. creativity with therapy. Uh, you know, a million roads to go down at any moment. Do I ask a question? Do I validate? Do I challenge? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like I want to come in, you know, centered, my nervous system regulated, creative, open, and just showing up and really being there for my client. What do they need today? Do they need to be listened to? Do they need to be challenged? Do they, you know. Mm-hmm. What do they need from me? And it is much harder to show up and go, all right, I'm totally here for you. 
um, if my, you know, needs aren't met. Yeah. So it's so much nicer now. I have so much time to listen to podcasts, to read articles, to do other trainings, uh, to really solidify my skills and know that I am showing up, you know, my best personal and therapist self yeah. uh, for my clients. It's so much easier. I have the capacity now. Right. Yeah. So for folks who are listening, who um, are maybe still feeling very stuck in a place of being exploited, um, I'm going to call it that, um, feeling stuck in a place of feeling exploited by um, either the system or a specific workplace or environment or demands, um, much as I'm sure you felt when you were working three jobs, um, how would you like from your perspective and what you learned, like what would be some small shifts that people could start making for themselves to maybe not change everything up, but just start unsticking some of those things for themselves? Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is acting as if. Mm-hmm. acting as if you have enough time you have enough money I really tried to shift into an abundance mindset of no I, re- I have enough time I have enough money things are fine um, and while that maybe sounds like I'm just lying to myself or something but um as far as the time was concerned, I started thinking, you know, whatever I get done today, that was the right amount. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, and I'm definitely was a type A, I'm a recovering perfectionistic, recovering people pleaser. I'll have a hundred things on my to-do list and be pissed if I only got 99 out of hundred things <laughs> right. done today. But I had to heal from that, that it was not good for me or anybody else. And so mm. really starting to think, you know, prioritize that to-do list, maybe put only like three things on there and, and still being self-compassionate and gentle with myself that whatever I got done today was the exact right amount. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, yeah, that was a small thing was acting as if yeah. I had time and energy and deserved rest and that I didn't, yeah, that I didn't have to like earn rest and play only by completing the to-do list. That felt like capitalism, probably other places. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I was just like, oh no, to think that I can only rest or play or have joy. If I do everything on my to-do list, if I work hard, if I'm earning money, then Mm -hmm. I can, you know, play and relax and read for pleasure or yeah, I didn't want to have to earn rest by being productive. Right. Right. Like I'm those, allowed to be a worthwhile human being. Yeah. And those things like they have felt very like intertwined because I mean, we have this idea of the weekend warrior, which is like, you got to grind it out during the week so that maybe on the weekend you can like have some fun. Right. But I like that you bring up acting as if, cause that, that is something that I've heard about. And, um, that's actually the whole reason why this podcast exists. Cause I'm like, when I was thinking about doing something like this, um, I was like, well, like, I don't, I've never, I don't like my voice and I've never recorded, like, I wouldn't know how to do a podcast. 
Um, and I remember I was probably listening to some kind of podcast around mindset stuff. And, and the, the guest brought up this idea of act as if like set yourself an impossible goal and act as if you could achieve that as if you already had achieved that, which it's definitely like, it is a switch um, because there's a lot of things that your brain will come up with to say like, no, you don't have that. It's not real. Um, but it's one of those small ways that you can like very mindfully try to start creating the mindset that will then change your behaviors and the way that you act in the world to push you toward that goal for yourself. And so with the podcast is like, okay, so how would somebody who has a podcast be like, if I were to act as if I already had something that was going well, what would I need to do? What would that look like? And I was like, well, I would probably, I don't know, buy a decent microphone so that I don't sound like I'm in a tin can. Um, <laughs> like all these kinds of things that I before like probably felt very overwhelming because my brain was giving me a ton of reasons why it wasn't going to work. And I was like, okay, I hear you. And let me act as if that wasn't an issue. What would I be doing? Um, so applying that like, even if it feels difficult to apply that to your professional life, like what would it look like to apply that to some aspect of your personal life? Like, how can I act as if play is okay for me, that rest is okay for me? How can I act as if I am deserving of that and then doing that? Um, right. And, and then creating that evidence, right? If our brain is always trying to like prove ourselves right, yay, confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. You know, an example was, oh my gosh, if I woke up on a Wednesday feeling sick, that was my private practice day. I was going to be losing like a thousand dollars or something. I can't remember all five or six clients in a row, but you know, that added up to a chunk of money and I couldn't reschedule, right? Because I only had that office one day a week. So if I woke up sick on Wednesdays, I was like, too bad. You know, you can't give up that private practice money and help. Obviously, I don't want to sound greedy. I also wanted to be there for those private practice clients. And so, yeah, one day I was like, no, I am sick. I'm going to email these clients and say I cannot see them this week. Like, I would rather rest and take care of myself than prioritize, um, you know, showing up and still being sick. Because you know, is it worth it? No, I think yeah. I need to be more important than money. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so exactly. And then like you were saying, Meg, the small things, the acting as if it, to me, that breaks it down into small things, right? Instead of like an overwhelming, unmanageable mm -hmm. leap. It's like, all right, well, okay. Starting a podcast sounds like a giant thing. What if it's just buying a microphone? And then what if it's just looking up what technology and then okay what if it's just all right then you make one graphic you know for the mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it just makes it seem more doable more Absolutely. possible yep yeah and the, I like that you said your brain is looking for the evidence um and I mean I found for myself and I think that you know a lot of a lot of people whether they're mental health professionals or not like when you're in a state of burnout it is incredibly easy. And also, you know, it is your reality to some degree that the things that are happening around you do feel out of your control and unmanageable. Um, and so, you know, sinking into that mindset of, I don't have control. I can't, I can't fix this. Like it, it becomes easier and easier over time to latch onto that as the truth of the matter. Um, 
And when I, when I work with clients who are dealing with burnout or other, other areas of feeling disempowered, a lot of the work that I do with them is like, yes, this system and the environment that you're in ultimately is out of your control. However, let's not forget that you do ultimately have control over what you decide to do. And to even mention to some people, like, maybe that means leaving your current job. They're like, what? what? Like, what? No, no, I just have to fix it and stay. I mean, if that's ultimately what you really, really want to do, then okay, let's work on that. But it's okay to admit that it's within your control to also leave if you need to. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy you said that. (laughs) That feels like such a huge part of the journey for sure. It was going from like helpless to stepping into my power Um, because there were definitely ways that I totally felt trapped, trapped, stuck. Uh, Like there wasn't anything I could do about it. Right. I couldn't control the cost of living in my town. Um, I couldn't control uh, student loans, that that was 10 years of service at a nonprofit. I can't control the healthcare system in this country of wanting to have healthcare. Those were things that are bigger than me. Um, And so I remember I spoke to someone, spoke to a few someones, but when I was telling them I was burnt out and I need more work-life balance, that, you know, they were like, well, you know, go into private practice, you know, leave, leave the university. I think both two separate people both said that. And I was like, what? I cannot, I cannot leave that job. That's my health insurance, my student loans, you know, my 401k. I can't leave that job. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Uh, and ultimately, you know, that's what I ended up doing as terrifying as it was. And so that was a huge shift was, wow, maybe it's not worth it to work in a job that again, for the most part, I really loved, which has probably made it harder to leave too. Right. But like, what's worth it? 10 years where I'm struggling financially, I'm burned out. You know, I thought, oh my goodness, my children are going to be oh, I don't know, like late teenager and preteen. Like, I don't, I think if I would have stayed for the 10 years to get my loans forgiven, my children maybe would have been like 17 and 11. And I thought, are you kidding me? I have to wait till my kids are 17 and 11 to like have bandwidth and time and energy for them. That's wrong. And that's when it was connecting me with that legacy piece yeah. of like, you know, I would rather just figure it out. And trust me, the, the mid, the middle of burnout, I, if I heard someone saying this right now, I'd be like, you're effing crazy. Yep. You're effing crazy. So you're going to pay $165,000 in loans just because you don't want to work here five more years. You're dumb. Like I would have no, (laughs) yeah, I just wouldn't listen to that person. So Mm -hmm. it's, I just wasn't ready to hear it. The first time someone told me that someone told me like, actually, if you leave the center, and you know, work in private practice, you could have the time and energy and money and you could just pay your loans back. Yeah. And I was like, that's silly. Why would I pay 165,000 if I could just get it to disappear? And all I got to do is work five more years. Cause I think at that point I was like halfway in. Yeah. I had been paying on the loans for five years working there. And I was like, that's so dumb. Why would I pay all that money if I don't have to? 
but I just, like I said, realized that no, actually my relationships and health are more important than money. And I would rather figure out how to pay these dang loans than stay there. And same with healthcare. Like I'd rather just figure it out and, and buy health insurance somehow, or, you know, yeah. do what we got to do. And so that was terrifying to me. And so if there are folks listening who are like, I can't leave because of, you know, benefits and loans, mm-hmm. let me tell you, I hear you. I, yeah. that was the most terrifying part was Absolutely. now I got to pay my loans back. Now we got to figure out health insurance, but it's really been worth it. It really mm-hmm. has been worth it to get creative. And that's a little bit what I need to about the status quo, right? The status quo is get a job and stay there and, you know, have these benefits and just to deal with it. Even if, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week, it doesn't work for your nervous system, you know? So it was terrifying to give up those comfortable um, and societally supported aspects of my life. But I thought if this is the price I have to pay, if I have to give up student loan forgiveness, if I have to give up health care, um, if, if this is the price I have to pay to then be in control of my time, you know, prioritize my physical health, prioritize my mental health, prioritize my relationship with my partner and kids. Um, mm-hmm. If this is the price I have to pay, then it's worth it. Like, right. fine, I'll, I'll do the scary thing if then I can build a life that actually works for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that like, I, I can also understand the perspective of somebody who may be in the middle of burnout or, you know, somebody who is in that, that space where like truly the, the benefits that they receive from their job are something that they, you know, in their current, where they are currently in their lives, they need. Um, and it's, you know, what I would want to say to that too, is this isn't sort of like a a thing where you have to, because you're burnt out, just stop, take all the risks now and leave. Um, I think, I mean, as you probably well know, like it is absolutely a process and there are shifts that need to happen and probably happen very natural to what, what is naturally occurring to the person, not forced, you know, cause I can think about times when I was in the middle of the burnout with other jobs where, you know, at the end of last year, I left a nonprofit job that was just about to start providing me with benefits and just about to start providing me with like a 401k and all this stuff. It was like, I can not do it. I will, I will buy my own health insurance. I don't like having to pay for that, but like I would be paying for it in other ways at this other place anyways, either with the extra time that I'm putting in or my mental health, my physical health, like we're always paying for it anyways. Um, so, you know, to be in a place where you, where you either really do need to stay for the benefits like that, that's also okay. And it's not hopeless, right? Like you can, you can go through these processes where like you need to stay for a while and that probably sucks. And it's not, it doesn't have to be your forever. Um, you can start making those internal mindset shifts regardless. Even if you've decided like, yep, I'm staying, I cannot leave. You can still change your internal processes around, um, you know, your time and your energy and, and what you're willing to give to the work. Yes. You can still have small boundary shifts. And Mm -hmm. that felt like that little bit of rebellious or pushing against the status quo of, yeah, Mm -hmm. even if you can't make giant changes, um, 
yeah, there's small things you can do, right? I, you know, like I said, I could choose to call out sick instead of pushing myself to go, right? Mm-hmm. I could choose to, when I get home, if I think, oh, I, you know, I should read some articles on blogging so I can, you know, try to get this side job. Like, yeah, I did that some days, but then other days I was like, no, I'm just going to play with my kids. They missed me. I miss them. Mm-hmm. You know, or I'm just going to read for pleasure. I'm not going to just keep reading, you know, marketing or, or clinical books. Like, no, let me just read some fiction. I'm allowed to have joy and peace and rest. So mm-hmm. I agree. If you can't make huge changes, you can still do the acting as if and the small things of, you know, eat the yummy food, you know, sleep in an extra hour. Um, don't feel like you have to volunteer for everything for your kids. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I was volunteering to do stuff in the community. And, and on, again, on the one hand, I felt really good. And then on the other hand, I thought every single day I have obligations and I can't take it. Like I need days that I just get up and I'm in my pajamas all day and no one needs yeah. me and I don't have to go anywhere. And so I had to step away from volunteer stuff on the weekends um, when I was in the middle of it. Cause yeah, I was just, yes, mm-hmm. too much. And so I hear you, Meg, there are definitely small things. And it did feel like it was a process in chapters in a way, you know, and like seeds being planted. I think, you know, just timeline wise, I think it was probably like, I don't know, 20. Well, yeah, it was almost like every year something happened that I was like, oh, you know, and then this is how I'll solve this. And okay, I'll make this decision, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was like 2018, I think was the first time someone said to me, like, you don't have to live there. Like no one's making you work there and making you live there. I thought, what? I have an amazing job and my kids love their schools and we're settled and we own our tiny townhouse, even if it didn't have a yard. Yep. Um, we're established. What do you mean? I'm choosing to live and work here. Like, <laughs> right. it just didn't even occur to me. Um, and then, and then it was two years later that I, so it took me two years from that first realization, you know, as far as the different decisions and courage and reality. And trust me, I was like crying at every one of these transitions. Like, I feel like I try to be brave and do the scary thing, but I'm for sure crying <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, feeling scared during all of it. And, um, but yeah, so definitely, I don't think is immediate any of these changes right yeah yeah I like how you said it's kind of like seeds being planted and what I've just what I found for myself and maybe maybe I'm personally like pretty suggestible to stuff or I'm like my mind is looking out for those kinds of things but like once the thought would be planted in my head even if I felt a rejection toward it or like nope I couldn't get it to go away. Like, so the first time anybody ever said to me, like, you don't have to take um, half of your caseload at sliding scale, or you don't have to, you don't have to work a W2 job or for an agency. Part of me was like, "Mm, yeah, okay, sure. Whatever. But over time, as it's marinated and grown into these, like these little seedlings in my mind, I'm like, I can't, Like, I can't stop thinking about this Um, and I may not be ready to act on it yet. And I may not be fully ready to take that risk, but acting as if has helped with that in a lot of ways, Um, even if it doesn't immediately translate into those big life-changing things. Um, So yeah, it's, I think when it comes to burnout, because burnout feels very large or when being exploited (laughs) feels very large. Um, it can feel like the solution has to be very large and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that big. Right. It, especially because I don't believe 
burnout recovery is a one size fits all journey or solution. Mm -mm. And so that's something I definitely carry into my current private practice. Mm -hmm. um, Because I specialize in supporting high achieving women recovering from burnout. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having a safe space to not have to be the amazing overachiever, like they can fall apart, they can, they can be emotionally, you know, cared for. And because as much as I love those self-help books and the podcasts and things, you know, that I listened to and read and helped me feel inspired, um, not all the decisions, right. Or paths are going to work for everybody, right. Cause we're so unique and we have different needs and responsibilities and obligations. And so I love the idea of supporting folks through that journey. That way mm-hmm. we can together you know, and I can be a helpful guide, look at what are the small things? What are the big things? How can I support you during those big, scary things? How can I support you during the small things? Yeah. Um, So that way life can be aligned with your values and you don't have to feel powerless and stuck. Like things can be different. You deserve better. Mm -hmm. And so as much as I love reading everything and listening to everything, it'll only go so far, right? With implementation of like, okay, I hear that. And how do, how does that look in my life, right. in my specific set of circumstances? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that feels really beautiful to help folks like take that wisdom and knowledge and translate it and help them channel their strengths into, yeah, what does it look like for me at this time? Absolutely. Yeah. And as one, one therapist who is um, specializing burnout to another, like that is, <laughs> that is absolutely like it is very, um, it's such a different process and like having been in the client's seat myself and then being the therapist, like there is so much power in allowing yourself that space to like get mad or get really, really sad about the way you've been exploited or the way that like your internal process mixes with those systems to create this whole sort of volatile burnout factory type situation. Um, and to just feel like you can say that out loud to someone without being judged, without them saying like, Oh, we'll just like sleep more and do yoga. Like those are great. I've said that I will always say those things are amazing. Do it. But to hear that when you're in the middle of it, you're like, give me something like help me because I'm doing that. And it's, it's not getting me to this other side of, of the road here. Um, so yeah, like being able to offer a different type of support to allow that space for people to just fall apart, get it out. Like, Hey, I've, I've been there. So I'm, I'm not judging. Like it's a, it's a thing. It is really a beautiful process to allow that to happen. Totally. Yeah. I feel so thankful that Cause yeah, even during my burnout process, I never disliked therapy. Mm-hmm. I never had a problem with being a therapist or a psychologist. I had a problem with working too much and getting too little money. So it was like, so yeah, I never like fell out of love with the therapeutic process mm-hmm. and validation and supporting folks and 
yeah, just especially women's empowerment. That's for sure. Like the core of like my purpose, my reason for being, um, everything I love is just, I don't want anyone to be exploited or mistreated. Mm-hmm. And so helping anybody, but especially women step into their power and say, nope, we're not going to do this. You know, uh, bosses, careers, partners, parents, society is not gonna, I'm not, they're not going to destroy me and mistreat me. Yeah. And so, so helping folks step into their power, feel safe mm-hmm. to heal, make changes and yeah, build a more aligned life is just everything. It lights yeah. me up. Absolutely. And I mean, it seems too like, I mean, there's this kind of joke about therapists that we, we get into being therapists because we have things that we want to work on for ourselves and the things that we specialize in tend to be the things that we have, you know, maybe struggled with most or healed from. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing for you, like that aspect of impairment has been a big thing for you too, like learning to step into your power and not be taken advantage of or destroyed by systems around you that I mean, I don't think that they like intentionally look at workers to destroy them, but they, in not being intentional about how they're caring about workers, they're doing it anyways. Right. Yes. And impact matters more than intention. So intentionally or not, either way, the the result is still the same or the result can still be damaging. So Mm -hmm. yes, absolutely. So to really circle back, you know, my family did a good job of teaching me don't let, you know, a romantic partner abuse you or treat you badly like don't rely on them financially mm-hmm. um you know don't let anyone treat you badly and thankfully I have an amazing partner and I really made it through that part of life <laughs> so, without any roughness but then it was like other ways that then I wasn't treated well because I thought well that's just what you got to do you know I don't I don't have money you know so I guess this is what we got to do yeah um, And so, yes, learning how to step into my power for me to be stronger and have different boundaries because I was for sure rewarded as society does as a female. I was rewarded for, uh, you know, being helpful, being kind, you know, shrinking myself, quieting my needs, putting others' needs first, um, you know, being a hard worker, a go-getter, straight-A student, you know working late to get all that done. Um, You know, I for sure had that people pleasing stuff of like, I wanna be an amazing worker. You know, I wanna be amazing psychologist. I want my clients to like me, my colleagues to like me, my bosses to like me. You know, I wanna be approved of, I wanna show them, look how smart and helpful and hardworking I am. But it came at such a cost that, you know, some years later, I was like, nope, I'm, I'm no longer willing to pay the price. Yeah to be the good girl, to be the star student, to be um, to be the capitalist uh, approved, you know, A plus worker. I'm no longer willing to pay the price for that approval. Yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah. it's really cool when you start getting into that space where, where you can take some of that back. And also like really scary because being the A plus student is a place of, safety, at least it has been for me. Um, it's a place where it feels like if I do these things right, and I am the A plus student and I don't create problems, that means that my, you know, personal safety or financial safety is 
less in question, even though like, so like I'm a millennial, um, I've already been through, I've been laid off. Um, you know, I've been through like, I suppose, professional sort of traumatic events that have kind of shown me like, I can still, I can do everything in my power to do it right. And still, and still it's not, it's not as safe as I thought it was. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. That's such a good point, Meg. Uh, I also am a proud millennial. Yay. Mm -hmm. Feedback, right? (laughs) Most of the stereotypes about millennials. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Right. Uh, But that sense of safety. Mm-hmm. And I for sure have like a trauma-informed background of working with trauma survivors. So safety is like one of my favorite words for sure. Uh, safety and empowerment. Mm-hmm. But the, the that was probably a scary slash mind-blowing piece of this whole thing over the last, we'll just say five years is, yeah, I thought the big systems were safe right? I thought, okay, if I work for a big university, their counseling center, well, that's a safe job, right? If I own my home, that's safe. If I'm whatever, married, that's safe. And yeah, with the pandemic, with, um, you know, the economy, yes, many things, uh, wars, right? Many big, like, national things or world things that we don't have control over, it just shook my sense of safety. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe I can't rely on the status quo. Maybe I can't rely on these systems to keep me safe. And if that's the case, if I cannot trust the government or uh, my employer to make sure I'm okay, like, oh, maybe they aren't looking out for my best interest, just little old me, right? right. Barely middle class woman. Um, I don't know that they're you know, t- entirely looking out for my well-being, unless I work myself to death, right? right. Um, yeah, that I think to some degree spurred me into doing some of those scary things and saying, okay, well, if I can't rely on these big systems that I thought I could for, you know, as a safety net, then I might as well take the risk and just rely on me right here. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can count on me at least. So yeah. that sense of safety was such a big deal, Meg. So I appreciate you sharing that because yeah, I'm like if, if all those big structures are unstable anyhow, mm-hmm. then why should I keep sacrificing for their approval when they could just drop me, you know, in a yeah. moment, you know, I read yeah. those memes that are like, you know, a job will replace you in a week. Like you're your only person for your family and, and stuff yeah. like that. And I'm like, oh yeah, the university would be okay if I disappeared. You know, the government's going to be fine. They don't care if I'm gone. Like who cares if I am not well, it's me and my partner and my kids and my friends. Like, yeah. So like I said, when I stopped being okay with paying the price for that approval, it was kind of because I thought I realized it's maybe not that safe to rely on that approval. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't count on them. Yeah. And I mean, looking at, um, the government and the world systems, like, I know those are obviously very much in a, in a lot of people's view right now, because of the way things have been for the past, I'll say the past five years since 2016, but at least the past, like what, 500 years, exactly. Right. How social justice and how big we're going here. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, basically for all of humanity, right? Like it's been a thing. Um, but if we take it more micro, not entirely micro, but even for folks who, um, who work in agency jobs or nonprofits or what have you, like, 
I remember having so many conversations with my peers who were in different um, professions. So I had peers who were going into law and peers who were going into special education, all these kinds of things. And like when we all got our master's degree and entered the workforce, all of us were like, we thought people knew what they were doing. What's going on? <laughs> like we have so many questions and the like, obviously there are folks who know what they're doing. Right. And like, there's a lot of people who are very helpful and they understand things, but like by and large the experience going into some of these bigger systems where like, they seem like they know what they're doing. A lot of it felt like flying by the seat of her pants and like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so not that you can't like, hundred percent, not rely on those systems. But when you start to build in your own sense of self-efficacy and you've got that self-empowerment piece, it's like these, these folks over here, like, I hope everything goes good, but if this system falls down, like I've already got my shit in place so that I, I know what I need to do for myself. Not everything is tied up in this system surviving and caring about me. So, right. Yes. That my well being. I can't put that in the hands of somebody else, like trusting that my boss will care about work-life balance, you know, trusting that, yeah, the, right, there's no paid parental leave in most places, right? So it's like, well, technically then the government or my employer doesn't think that, you know, being off when you have a child is really important, not for our anyway yeah and you get down a whole rabbit hole yeah. About, <laughs> yeah. you know, just felt like exactly I'm I'm okay to play with the status quo and you know I want to be a good citizen and um but I need to trust my intuition more than just well here's the rules you mm-hmm. know this is what you gotta do like that's what I'm no longer doing and so it's like yeah. I can trust a little bit but again I want to be my own safety net um, cause no one's going to care as much about my well-being as me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. I like that. Okay. So I want to be mindful of the time, but, um, I do kind of want to maybe, maybe end the conversation, um, with a question that I try to ask, you know, the, most of the folks that come on here is, if you were to um, kind of leave the audience with maybe a thought to kind of chew on or maybe a last remark that you'd want to make sure you can share with folks, um, what would you want to tell people? Mm, my perfectionist streak wants it to be like the most amazing thing, <laughs> um, the most meaningful, quotable thing. Of course. But... I have to say the old tired cliche of trust yourself. Yeah. Really look inward for the answers. Mm-hmm. Because again, especially for the female identified listeners, you know, as Glennon Doyle shares in her book, Untamed, also highly recommend that one women are sort of socialized to look outside ourselves for permission and for guidance and for answers. So women are more likely to say, well, what does my mentor think? What does my supervisor think? You know, what does my family and friends think? You know, what does this blog think? I consult blogs all the time before I do stuff, usually like travel related, right? Like 
<laughs> yeah. So it can be a really hard habit to break to say like, okay, I've read the books, I've listened to the podcasts, I've talked to the people I love, but now how can I just quietly turn inward and really just feel my intuition and trust what is bubbling up for me as the truth. Mm -hmm. So yeah. as hard as that is, that is what I would recommend because we can get drowned by other people's opinions and everyone's going to have really different opinions. And I, again, as a recovering people pleaser and perfectionist, it was really hard when two people I respected gave opposite advice. Yep. I thought, well, now what the hell do I do with it? And I felt that way in grad school too, by the way, when I'd read articles and they'd say two different things. And I was like, damn it. Mm -hmm. That's the right answer in quotes, right? And so no one's going to know the right path for you and mm -hmm. what's best for you. Yeah. So do what you got to do to gather inspiration and information, but then turn in and listen to yourself. Mm -hmm. I like that. Probably something that, <laughs> I mean... I ask that too, because I'm like, I should probably be taking this advice. <laughs> I got to remind hard. myself that too, like every month, yeah. like, okay, this is what everybody says, but what is right for me? Yeah. It's, it's an ongoing process to be able to do that. So don't let your perfectionists think that you have to do it right every single time either. Yeah. There is no right. <laughs> usually, right. You're going to end up okay. No matter what you choose, probably you'll probably end up okay. Yeah. I'm thinking so. All right. Well, I really loved this conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah. And um, I will share your information in the show notes for people who are listening, as well as those books that you mentioned, if people are interested in reading those or doing some more of their own, um, their own looking inward, um, maybe starting them on that path. So thanks so much. Thank you, Meg. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening today. I loved this conversation about smashing the patriarchy and creating abundant, fulfilled lives as therapists who are doing our best, most aligned work once we step outside of the system that is trying to crush us. So I loved it. <laughs> if you liked what you heard today, I encourage you to head on over to the Mental Status Instagram page, send me a DM, say hello. I love it when people say hello. Um, I'd also love it if you hit that subscribe button and make sure that you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Um, when you're there, you can also leave a review and also share this episode with anyone you know who might benefit from the things that I talked about today with Dr. Desiree. So I'm also excited to announce that Mental Status has a Patreon page. So if you're interested in getting even more content related to healing from burnout and living a more abundant life as a therapist, head on over to patreon.com slash mental status pod and check out the different levels of support. Every dollar that you provide goes back into this podcast to make sure that I can make the best show possible. And it really supports all of the work that we're doing to get the word out about healing from burnout in this field. And while I'm on the topic of Patreon, I'm super happy to give a shout out to my newest supporter and an upcoming guest of the show, Diana Kelly. Diana is an awesome person, and I'm going to be sharing my fantastic conversation that I had with her in the next few weeks. So keep your eyes open for that. 
All right. Thanks again, everyone, for joining, listening, and sharing. I hope that you are getting your cup filled in any which way that you can. Until next time, take care. I'll see you later.